Hi, I'm Bethany Godso, the Associate Vice President for Career and Leadership Development at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and each member of our community has an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. I'm Miriam Miller, your host for this episode, and we're sitting down today with Chris Edling. Chris, thank you so much for being on our episode today. Thanks so much for having me, Miriam. So you are currently a lecturer and a writing instructor at NYU. You graduated from USC back in 2005. And I was wondering if in pretty brief terms, you can just take us through the last 15 years. So what you did post-graduation and what's led you to this moment that you're at now working at NYU. I was living in Los Angeles. And by the time I graduated college, I had sort of determined that I wanted to pursue writing uh, in some form. And so being in Los Angeles, the natural choice was sort of to pursue work in Hollywood. So I spent four years bouncing around different jobs uh, in the entertainment industry. I worked for uh, different content producers. I was a stand-up comedy producer for a while. I edited books. I wrote a bunch of freelance stuff. I also worked at The Hollywood Reporter, which is one of the big trade papers in the entertainment industry, and all sorts of other little jobs in between. Like, I drove a car, and I worked as a wedding DJ, and all this fun stuff. So, yeah, so that was four years in L.A., and then in 2009, I joined the Peace Corps, and I went to Armenia. I spent, from 2009 to 2012, I was in Armenia. My job as a Peace Corps volunteer was teaching English in a village in the southern part of the country. And then while I was in Armenia, I decided that I wanted to go to graduate school. And so I applied for MFA programs in creative writing. So in 2012, I started my MFA at Columbia. I was there for three years. And then by the time I graduated, I got a a Fulbright grant to go to Kyrgyzstan to do some research for a book project that I was working on. I was in Kyrgyzstan from 2015 to 2017. And then 2017, I moved back to New York and I started my job at NYU. As you said, you began in Hollywood doing obviously some writing, doing some off the beaten path things, you know, being a wedding DJ and being a driver. Having started there, did that kind of connect back to what you thought you would be doing as a college student? Did that relate at all to what you studied, the writing aspect of it? That's a good question. I mean, yes and no, because I think for me, a lot of college was a period of exploration. I considered lots of different paths. So at one point, I was thinking of maybe going to seminary. At another point, I thought of maybe going to law school. But uh, all this time, I was sort of circling these things of like writing and public speaking, like these sort of skills. But I didn't really know what form that was going to take. So I think it was only by the time I finished college that I thought, well, maybe doing some writing work in Hollywood might be might be a good fit. And so when you were working as a producer and an editorial assistant, what was that work actually like? 
This is a really interesting question because like in the world of Hollywood, producer is one of those job titles that is very amorphous and kind of changes from from one thing to another. So for example, in television shows, a producer, like if you look at the credits on a TV show, a producer is often a writer and producer credits kind of circulate back and forth. If you're looking at a movie, right, like a film producer is often a person who's handling money and all this, like the business end of the film producing. So when I was producing, for example, stand-up comedy shows, that basically was a very organizational role. So it was making arrangements with the venue managers. It was booking the talent, figuring out how the, the money would be divvied up. So that was the producing end of it. And then being an editorial assistant was also this kind of mixture of some organizational tasks, some looking at things like the budgets for the department and things like that. But also there is editorial work like writing and editing and reporting. I think that's probably similar to maybe the editorial assistant work at, at lots of places. And so it seems like the work you were doing there compared to what you decided to do after in Peace Corps is obviously very, very different. What made you decide to make that leap? One thing was I had started doing a bit of part-time teaching while I was in Los Angeles. I taught a humor writing course at a local film school. And while I was in college, I had done some student teaching. So I was kind of curious about teaching. So Peace Corps was an opportunity for me to explore that more deeply. So that was part of it. There was also kind of this gnawing feeling that, you know, I wanted to be doing something that was helping people or, you know, working towards this greater good. I mean, I came back home from work at the end of some of the days and I just asked like, whose life is better because of what I did today or what it, what good did I put into the world today? Asking myself that question enough times sort of pulled me in the direction of, well, maybe Peace Corps is a, a good way to move in the direction of doing work that feels that way. So it was that, but then it was also just this more personal desire to like leave the United States and experience life and culture in a different place. I had not spent time overseas before Peace Corps. So for me, like getting away from Los Angeles and from the U.S. and just living in a very different way was very appealing for me. At that time, I was like 25 years old or so. So I I would say it was a combination of all those different things, both vocational and personal motives as well. And it seems like it also aligned with the financial crash also. Obviously, there was a lot going on economically at the time. Do you feel like that financial crash had anything to do with your decision? Did that influence you at all in any way? Yeah, absolutely. That was a big part of it. The timeline was, I think it was 2008. And at that time, the bottom was kind of falling out of print journalism. And I was working in a newspaper. So in the weeks and months before I applied for Peace Corps, I had seen several of my colleagues get laid off. My own job felt very precarious. And so I was thinking, you know, I might not have a job next week. And that definitely put me into a kind of mindset of if if I'm not promised my job tomorrow, what do I really want to be doing? We'll be right back to our episode after our segment, Tricks of the Trade, with Sarah Rosenthal. Most job seekers have heard about the importance of networking. But if you're not sure where to start or you feel intimidated by the term, informational interviewing is a great way to cultivate relationships and gain insight into a job or industry. 
You'll want to start with identifying people you already know and would enjoy talking to. So think family, friends, classmates, professors, and current or former colleagues, just to name a few. These are people who already know you, but may not know about your career interests. You can also conduct informational interviews with people you're not already connected to. When you first reach out, make sure to introduce yourself, explain why you chose them, and ask for a quick, informal conversation, maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Set a goal for each conversation, whether it's related to getting to know about career paths, industries, or learn something new. Remember, these people were likely in your position at another time and conducted their own informational interviews. Many alumni love to connect with current students, although if you reach out to someone twice and don't hear back, try moving on to another connection. Bring some questions to the informational interview, but be prepared to also share some information about yourself. The more you can build rapport with the person you're connecting with, the more productive the conversation will be. And afterwards, make sure to follow up with a thank you. You'll never be able to predict where these conversations can take you, so try reaching out to someone today. You may be surprised what you can learn and who you may end up connecting with. And now, back to the episode. I know that obviously you also did the Fulbright in Kyrgyzstan after Peace Corps. When you think back to both of those experiences, do you have thoughts for students or alumni who might be interested in exploring global opportunities, but aren't sure how to go about it or aren't sure if it's a good choice for them? I, I was very lucky. I had a very good experience in both Peace Corps and with Fulbright. Uh, there are lots of different experiences that people have. Some people really face a lot of challenges in Peace Corps also during Fulbright. But if I were to offer advice, I mean, one thing I often tell students when I'm talking to them about global programs and going overseas is there are so many programs out there. You know, there are kind of these big name ones. Like I think Fulbright is a, a well-known one. Peace Corps is also rather well-known. But outside of that, there are just so, so many programs that give Americans a chance to spend time abroad and in different ways, like for different lengths of time and towards different ends. But for students who are interested in maybe living and working abroad, definitely do your homework and find out all of the different programs that are out there. I mean, it's not just Fulbright and Peace Corps and some of these larger name ones. There are tons of great programs. So that's one thing I would say. I would say, too, like when looking through those different programs, try to find the one that's the best fit for for you. Maybe not necessarily the one that's like the most well-known or the most prestigious or something like this, because I think it's very often the case that the people who have the best experiences abroad, part of that is because they're they're in a program or they're in a country which is a good fit for them. So, for example, one of the differences for me between Peace Corps and Fulbright is that Peace Corps was very structured. You know, it's like I showed up in the country. I had, I think it was 10 weeks of training. Peace Corps set up, you know, they found a host family, several host families for me, and they just kind of arranged everything and I just showed up. Whereas Fulbright, for me, my Fulbright was very self-directed. You know, I wrote my proposal, they gave me the thumbs up, and then I showed up in Kyrgyzstan and I sort of, it was on me to figure out how to structure my life and my work there. So that's maybe a good factor to take into account, whether you want to have an experience that's 
more self-directed or more structured. Also, the amount of time that you're going to spend there. I mean, spending six months or eight months somewhere is very different than spending 27 months somewhere. I think that's all great advice. And I think there are so many factors that people need to consider when they're thinking about any fellowship like that. I think that leads me to another question, which is, you know, you returned from Peace Corps and then you decided to pursue this MFA at Columbia. So if you could talk a little bit about why grad school felt like the right step afterwards and how did you determine what your priorities were when you were looking for those types of programs? When I went into Peace Corps, I did not already have it in my mind that I was going to go to graduate school afterwards. That was something that very much developed while I was in Peace Corps. And the things that fed into that were, number one, while I was in Peace Corps, I was working as an English teacher, and I really fell in love with teaching. One of my motives for applying to graduate school was I knew that graduate school would give me this training and a credential to, to teach. Um, so that was one thing that was important to me. Also, while I was in Peace Corps, I landed on a writing project that I I wanted to continue working on, and I felt like an MFA program would give me the the time and the the training and the space and you know feedback from other people. But then there are these much more like sort of personal, non intellectual motives that I had. So, for example, when I was in Peace Corps, I was a member of a great community, actually several great communities. I think Peace Corps showed me how important it was to be part of a community and just how much richer and more dynamic that made life. So when I thought about coming back to the U.S., I thought grad school might be a much better way to find community. So that was a big part of my decision, too. And what about the U.N.? Can you talk a little bit about how that opportunity came about and what that experience was like for you? So during my Fulbright period, meeting a lot of people and for my the work I was doing, I was in touch with a lot of people at NGOs and IGOs, including uh, the UN. So that just sort of came about by happenstance. There was somebody I knew, she knew of an opening and she mentioned it to me. And at the time I was looking to, to stay on there and spend some more time to continue doing the work that I'd started doing. So it was a very you know, a very fortuitous thing that happened. But again, like this all just happened as I went along. It's not like I went there planning to find this this job at the UN. It just sort of came up. Can you talk a little bit more about what work you were doing there, what that experience was like? We certainly have a lot of members of the NYU community who have thought about working at the UN in the past or think would be an interesting place to work. So I wonder if you can shed a little bit more light on the, some of those aspects. My job was, I worked as like a, editing consultant. So a lot of my work was applying the the skills that I had from journalism and from editing. One thing I learned about the UN when I had that job was that, you know, it's a huge organization. I mean, imagine like a massive government scale sort of organization. You've got so many different people who have different skill sets. I mean, everything from, I think what might be obvious, like people who have like a political or an international relations background to lots of people who have technical skills that the UN needs. So one thing I often tell people if they're interested in working at the UN is like, 
don't feel like you necessarily have to pigeonhole yourself into a specific training or, or graduate program or something like that in order to work for that organization. It's this huge organization. They need people with lots of different skills. So it's much more about like, you should do the thing that you want to do and acquire the skills you want to acquire. And then, you know, it, it may very likely be the case that the UN or an organization like the UN is looking for somebody with your skill set. My training and my background was in writing and editing. And so I wouldn't have thought that the UN would necessarily have a place for somebody like me. And, you know, they have lots of people like me because a lot of what they do is based on writing and grant writing. And, you know, they put out a lot of media publications. So there's a place for just about anyone at an organization like the UN. And so before we wrap up here, I guess the last thing I want to really ask you about is we're in this moment right now of a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the economy. And I think there are a lot of people who are looking at the plans they had, you know, set aside for themselves and trying to consider whether or not things that they had maybe planned for themselves are feasible with the current professional climate and economy as it is. Do you have advice for people who are concerned about the trajectory they had in mind for themselves not going as they had planned it? I mean, I should say that Looking back now, it seems like so obvious that I joined Peace Corps and that ended up being this great experience. But that's really the perspective of hindsight. At the time, you know, back in 2008, 2009, when I was leaving Hollywood and going into Peace Corps, it was tremendously scary. And I heard a lot of different input from different people in my life, like my family and my friends. And I joined Peace Corps knowing full well that I could leave my job, leave my apartment, go overseas and totally fall on my face. And if things didn't work out and I could come, you know, I could end up back in, you know, in the U.S. in like three months or six months, just having felt like I made a mistake. So I would say that, I mean, in my case, it worked out. I'm really glad I took the leap. Precarious times of financial recession, it can be really scary, but it can also be this great opportunity to take an honest look at your life and say, am I happy doing what I want to do? Do I want to continue down this path? Or maybe this is a perfect time for a change. Thank you, Chris, so much for being with us. We really appreciate your perspective and sharing your story. And we look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks so much, Miriam. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest Chris Edling. We're produced by Miriam Miller and Lily Smith, edited by Lily Smith, and created with support from Nia Beresford, Danielle Kristal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.